The Lord will give strength unto his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. Amen. Nobody likes tests. Even if you've studied, they might not go as planned. Anxiety over tests can cause problems just as much as how the tests were put together. To curb this, some have come up with the, the phrase, maybe you've heard it, we teach for the test. Unfortunately, this brings up other issues about teaching itself and the goal uh, for the whole course of learning. How we deal with tests administered among men is one thing, but our reaction as Christians must be cautious when God gives us a test. Either we can treat it with laziness, figuring by the weakness of our flesh, what's the point? I'm going to fail as a sinner anyway. Or we can fall into what we want to call a despairing pride, going so far to make the accusation that God has somehow gone against his word. Abraham had no clue that the Lord was testing him, and neither do we. It's not like a controlled classroom setting. But before our life in a crazy world that is many times shrouded in darkness. So it is, whenever the Lord speaks, his people respond. Their actions are not based on pure, pure reasoning or a feeling, but solely faith in what God says. Such testing is done not to burden our life as if sin and death are not already causing enough, enough troubles from day to day. Instead, a good way of purifying and strengthening the faith of his people. He wants to teach us to hold on to his promises and not some fanciful dream that, frankly, we worship as an idol. Except when God plans to use, what God plans to use for good, we know quite well the devil grabs at it to use it for evil. When the Lord wants to create and strengthen faith by his word, the devil is ready to replace or twist the word, just like he did to our first parents back in the garden. It's the same old story. Abraham knew that God was his friend. He experienced it repeatedly in his life. The Lord brought him up out of the land of idolatrous fathers to begin with. He received the promise to be made into a great nation and how all people on the earth would be blessed through him. This promise became a visible mark to Abraham literally in the flesh by the act of circumcision, which I'm sure he It was in the emptiness also of Sarah's womb, the miracle of life that came finally with the birth of that son, Isaac. And so you can say, when all this was coming together, they were now at that peaceful time of life, content and resting quietly, as good as they could as old parents raising a teenager. The future, though, was pleasantly evident as Isaac was growing and maturing as the promise of what was to come. 
Certainly Abraham thought God to be more than a creator, but one who was a friend, who had an intimate relationship and an involvement in his life. Except in the midst of this peace and comfort, everything came to a screeching halt. The Lord told Abraham to sacrifice his only son Isaac, but that single demand, by that one little moment, his friend appeared to be his foe. There was no hope, no wiggle room for a misinterpretation. The Lord drew up explicit instructions, leaving this father with the sole responsibility to kill his son. Giving up Ishmael, an illegitimate son, merely was to send him off to a foreign land. But Isaac, Isaac was him. It went back on the very promise that God had given so long ago. Here was the test. But Abraham could never have guessed it. He had no warning, no time to prepare for this moment in life. Such an action of human sacrifice didn't represent the character of God. You must know this. It was something only the false gods, the pagan gods of other nations would, would do, demanding child sacrifice for something in exchange. Why would the true God want to resemble the false gods? Abraham's reason and emotions would only have experienced in those words kind of a twitch of the eye, kind of a sadness in the heart, confusion over what's going on, despair in the moment, and frankly, uncertainty. Once again, it was out of his hands, submitting to God's word by faith and proceeding to carry out the sacrifice. The same happens to us as Christians today. We brag about God being our friend. We even have a hymn in our hymnal, an old but good one, right? What a friend we have in Jesus. There's also that familiar good news that indeed Christians make a big deal in recognizing God to be our friend. Jesus even says to his disciples, you are my friends. However, at times in our life, it can appear that this friend is our foe. Why do I have to suffer the rest of my life with this kind of a disability that the doctors cannot cure? How could God let my loved one or me die in this way? What is the reason for this financial burden upon my life when everything was falling into order the way it was supposed to be calculated with the math and everything that the financial advisor told me? Why do I speak the truth of God's word? I mean, what's the point? When I know I'll probably am going to receive persecution for speaking the truth, even with love. It's difficult to silence those kind of anxious and troublesome thoughts as these. A person can always fall back on the old saying, we know it's tossed around, everything happens for a reason. Of course, I've heard it both by Christians and non-Christians with these words. There's little comfort from such a generic phrase, devoid of any confidence built on the gospel. We don't know why things always happen for a reason. 
Because he can't explain everything. We are to carry out our sacrifices fully believing that God is not contradicting himself. He is not the enemy, nor has he changed. The reason for such hard trials is so that we can cling even more to the promise of our salvation by grace that Jesus secured as a gift. And so St. Paul tells us, yet in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. God's promise of Abraham's life for his life would not have changed if he had failed in the course that was set before him. Sure, he was able to go this time all the way to the altar with Isaac, but you know the story. There were other occasions in his life when he did the opposite. Sixteen years before he had Isaac, he did not wait for receiving a son with Sarah. Instead, with his own wife's encouragement and permission, he bore a child through Hagar, the servant girl, Ishmael. This act was not by faith, but conceived in works in order to secure comfort for himself and his future. The Lord never abandoned him, but Abraham, oh, he abandoned the Lord. And yet the promise was still there, just as valid and certain. Except now in our story today, Abraham didn't run away from God this time. He submitted to the word, carrying out the sacrifice. He bore the way, we could say, in our time of the cross. From the very start, he fully believed, apart from his reason and feelings, that God's promise for his, for his life would not change. He had enough experience over the years of his own fear of running away and doing something different that he kind of got to this point where he knew that God wasn't going to go back on what he promises. Abraham echoed the living hope of, Christian, of the Christian confession, saying to his servants, we will, we will worship and then we will come back to you. He went to sacrifice, not because he's gonna, going to save him, no, underneath such works was finally faith that trusted in a loving God who would save him from the work he had to do. God would provide the sacrifice. Frankly, this is kind of a faith that, if necessary, God it could even raise Isaac from the dead. You have been baptized. The promise of your life has been guaranteed in Jesus. We are even so bold to claim now that we are God's children. He will not abandon us even if we have abandoned him. Faith keeps coming, hoping, believing that God is our friend and not our foe. All the different sacrifices that we're dealing before life to do are brought before this altar. Just like Abraham, we are to learn to have complete submission to God's word. It would seem that it's a dead end. The knife is about to be plunged into our 
very life with the law's demands. But all the while, we are not in this line of thinking. As much as the law will tell you, you don't give enough, you don't consider enough about the Lord, you don't do what you should do, all the while, we believe God has an answer and will save us from the work that we're carrying out to do. And so at this altar, God stops the law with his word that truly delivers the gospel, like the angel of the Lord who interjected at that very moment to Abraham. And so goes the gospel. The Lord sees not the work but the faith waiting to receive what he gives. There is a lamb caught in the thickets. He is wearing a crown of thorns. The wood of the cross, as we know, is on Christ's back, taking the place of Isaac. God was never planning to use our sacrifices to justify any sinner, no matter how well devoted we may be. Even that be of the first original apostles, Peter and the others. He wanted to give us faith in his work, since the gospel goes before our troubles of life with this, God's care. He cares. That's why he goes before us. We don't go into Lent because we're such great at it. It's because the Lord Jesus goes to work in his way of the cross. God's lamb prepared, prepared is for us to eat and to drink through his own gift of the Lord's Supper. Do this remembrance of me is not a history book lesson. Here we experience under bread and wine Christ binding us to his body and blood for our lives. It is the answer to test, to the test. It answers the test as we continually cling to our Savior. He is the final and only sacrifice. And so this is the point today in the gospel reading. Jesus was tempted by the devil. Don't translate that text as you just got to do what Jesus did because you will not achieve what Jesus did. Jesus is the perfect Son of God. And so when he was tempted 40 days, he was there suffering in every trial, in every way, without exception, in thought, word, and deed, to achieve what we cannot to be our good defense. So that we can follow him. We can take up our crosses and fight the good fight of faith, even when we have to find out that our works don't always go the way we think, and the devil tricked us again. The Lord has been our saving refuge all along. Only faith can believe in such a promise while we still live in a world where we must either sacrifice to the will of man, even ourself, or to the will of God. Martin Luther puts it this way, good for singing the, the famous Reformation hymn today. He says, we must hold tightly to the promise and be ready for the times when God will test us as he did Abraham. God doesn't test us because he enjoys it. He tests us to find out whether we love him above all things. This does not mean our love saves, but faith is alive so that there is love that submits to what God says. All the while, 
Love continually believes the promise of forgiveness, continually believes that there is eternal life when only I see is death. And it also knows salvation is secure that can never be put to shame, no matter how the scene might change into a season of Lent. You see, we dare not look at the Lord as our foe when he is always wishing to be our friend through the faithfulness of his word and sacraments. The sacrifices we make come not by force. And that, frankly, is the gift the church gives the world. Because the world is going to be forced to do the things the world does not want to do, and it's going to make it try to look good when it's no good. But the sacrifices we make come not knowing our Father in heaven provides the true sacrifice, his Son. Amen. The Almighty and merciful God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, bless and keep you always. Amen.